1: This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end.
0: Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills.
2: Steve oh! Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up close to the end zone. Olsen, touchdown.
0: Brian Burns to the house. This one is picked again. Accepted by Boston. Bridgewater, blow into the end zone. Touchdown! Samuel, still on his feet. Inside the five. To the end zone. Touchdown. What a play. And it is
2: caught for the touchdown by Moore. And in the foot race, McCaffrey
0: to the end zone. He fouled it on three. One, two, three. He
2: it. All right. It's a Labor Day Edition of the Roar podcast on Blue Wire, John Ellis, Billy Marshall. We're recording this on Labor Day evening, and this comes to you on Tuesday after. It's game week. 2020 is here. Billy, how you doing, bud?
3: Yeah, long overdue. Um, Happy to be with you again on this very nice Labor Day, and hopefully we can, you know, discuss some positive news for once, or maybe not.
2: (laughs) Well, we're going to try our best here, it's... It's a challenging roster. It's a challenging uphill battle with this Panthers team in 2020. And there's a lot of fans out there that, uh, you know, quite frankly are concerned that this team is just not quite ready to, to compete. But we're going to look at the, uh, the final 53, at least as it stands right now on Monday night and give you an idea what's going on. And then, uh, later on the show, we've got some thoughts on David Tepper's comments last week. He talked to the media and had some interesting things to say, uh, from Cam Newton all the way to, covid and uh some employment issues with his own personnel staff so we're going to take a look at that and uh kind of dissect a little bit of that but billy uh some news coming through the wire tonight i looked at uh twitter just before we uh jumped on here it looks like eli apple is going on ir at least for three weeks now and uh they did pick up rasul douglas from philadelphia the corner so there's some movement there it looks like troy pride might be starting opposite dante jackson just uh your initial thoughts on, on the team losing Eli for the first uh, few weeks there?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly not great because their corner depth, as we've discussed many times, is already in a precarious situation. So, you know, I, I think both of us know what Eli Apple is. No one's claiming him to be the second coming of, you know, prime Durrell Revis, but he is in some ways average at best and if you remove him that creates a very sizable issue so that's not great
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> nothing really feeling good about that i mean we're looking at dante jackson Troy pride junior rasul douglas uh corn elder stanley thomas oliver and then uh you know they've got uh Eli Apple on I are there. You know, I, I do like the pickup of Douglas. I think he's, you know, one thing you've talked about with the corners is the lack of length. And this guy is a six foot two long corner. He's got some experience. What are your thoughts on Douglas? Have you watched any tape on him? You got any just initial impressions on that pickup from Carolina's end?
3: Yeah, I'm not a big fan of his. Uh, I, I don't think he's been particularly good since he got drafted uh, by the Eagles. Um, and I think a lot of the playing time that he's received has come as a result of, you know, Philadelphia's depth chart, um, you know, not being in a very good place. Uh, I mean, last year he was one of the worst graded cornerbacks in the NFL, according to Pro Football Focus, um, 116th out of 135. So, mm. yeah, you know, he has a lot of issues in coverage, particularly, you know, in man and zone, he can get, or excuse me, in man, he can, um, you know, he doesn't really get contact at the line of scrimmage well, so he loses there. And you know, especially in zone coverage, he can get lost uh, with his assignments. So I've seen a decent amount of Philly games throughout you know the last two or three years, um, and he's never really impressed me. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's I guess a low risk move, but I, I don't really expect him to. Do much positive, Um, I expect him to probably get, you know, move back down the depth chart when Eli Apple's healthy, Um, but I I don't really see anything long-term with him.
0: Yeah,
2: Yeah, it seems like it's one of those moves. You know, I I liked it initially, and I think some of your analysis helps me drive a little bit of that stuff home that uh, maybe I don't look at in terms of most recent activity you know he came out of the gate with five interceptions his first two years of course some of those are not entirely on on him uh you know the one he got against cam newton for instance was a tip ball kind of fell right into his lap and it's not all about picks as you know and those are some valid points uh you know he's a veteran i like the fact that he's played a lot of games i like his length but you know those are definitely things you 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 don't want to get your hopes up too high for this kid because philadelphia has had their share of uh challenges on their depth chart as you said in their their secondary um as as we look at the the roster right now billy offensively is there any particular spot that jumps out at you uh offensive line running backs we go down the list here but obviously they 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 reassigned reggie bonafin to the practice squad it looks like mike davis is rb2 it looks like behind christian um let's start there is there any significance to that from your end were you surprised at all that mike davis uh got the call there
3: uh, this is a background running back? No, I'm not.
2: You yeah.
3: know. Yeah, I'm not really surprised. I was hoping Bonifon would, you know, take that role, but, you know, without the luxury of watching preseason games or even camp, you know, you just have to trust the coaches that they made the right decision. Um, time will tell if they did or not. We don't know. Uh, but yeah, certainly Davis, he had a pretty good season in 2018. Um and she knows, I mean he's always been like a decent like backup. You know, I liked him coming out of South Carolina. Uh but he's you know had his fair share of injuries too, so I think just durability is gonna be the biggest thing with him. Um but again at the end of the day, we we discussed this a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, our projections or at least my initial projections just looking at the running back depth chart doesn't really uh give me the impression that they're going to be giving McCaffrey a lot of rest. I right. mean, maybe I'm wrong, but that's just my instincts right now based on, you know, who they kept. And, again, I think Davis is serviceable, but, uh I mean, time will tell. And that's, again, I think that we need to just kind of keep in mind, you know, as the season goes on and see how that fluctuates.
2: All right. Yeah, there's uh no big surprises there. The McCaffrey will get the lion's share of the carries and, you know, they talked about utilizing them differently and more creatively. I and mean, then that's, you know, I'll talk until it plays out. You know, we'll, we'll see how that looks. But, uh, the tight end position, we had discussed that a little bit. Looks like it's going to be, uh, Ian Thomas, Chris Manhurts and Colin Thompson, the temple product who was brought back, uh, today. And, uh, it, it does look like some of the guys, uh, that they had before. It looks like Giovanni is back on the practice squad. Um, about Ian Thomas. You know, we've talked about him a little bit. Big year for him, Billy, right? Big big, big time for him. Time to step it up and and show he can produce.
3: Right. Yes, it is. And I'm just guessing, just looking at their depth chart, they really weren't sure how to fill that last spot because I know there are a lot of moving parts from Friday to yesterday. So, yeah, I mean, I think the top two, we knew that they were going to keep their spots and it does and they are. So, yeah, it should be a pretty interesting season for Thomas, and uh, this is this is his big opportunity.
2: I've, I've read some comments about Manhurts, and they're, they're enamored with his basketball skills. I mean, this is all could be coach speak, and I just you know I like him as a blocker a lot. And in fact, I, I highlighted that in some of the film study last year. I just don't see the ability to separate in man coverage being there. And you talk about maybe a goal line opportunity, sort of a jump ball threat. But I I just don't see the hype with Manhurts playing out in terms of his production as a receiver. Do you see that at all?
3: No, I totally agree with you, actually. And the reason I do is because, yeah, sure, it's, it's easy for a basketball athlete to transition over to tight end just because, you know, they have the body type to do it. But I think, you know, becoming a very refined pass catcher, requires a lot more than just, you know, transferring your athletic system from basketball to football. You have to have the foot speed, you have to have fluid hips to be able to drop your weight and make cuts in and out of breaks. Um, you have to, you know, have good body control to make, you know, really tough catches. Uh but at the end of the day he's a really good blocker and he has the strength to hold the point of attack against defensive ends. And I think in some respects, that is a valuable skill set. I don't want to diminish it. Um, but as a number one tight end, I'm just, I'm not really seeing it. I mean, you remember like two years ago, like his only like really his big highlight as a pass catcher was at Flea Flicker. And the only reason that, yeah. you know, came to be was because the entire defense was, <laughs> you know, sold out for the run. So he was right. wide open.
2: Yeah. So, it, nothing really happened. I mean, there's really, there.
3: yeah, there's really not much. Even just, I mean, you you watch the film too, just like I do, and he really doesn't have many impressive, um, you know, highlights to his receiving package.
2: He just doesn't win in man. I mean, that's the biggest thing you look at with with these tight ends. I, Ian does a great job with that, I think, in terms of his ability to separate. He's uh, he's got some talent there in terms of getting free and and his rack ability. I, I do like what he does with the ball in his hands. He just hasn't had the the reps to to get that done. And I think the blocking has been an issue at times, and, and he's worked on that. But with Manhurst, you're right. The one big highlight was the uh, the play with the, the halfback pass, essentially with McCaffrey, Monday night against the Saints in 2018. And you're right, the whole defense was fooled there. So you can't draw too much from that. Um, I know there was one play in 18 where he was uh, being draped near the goal line on a slant, I think, where Newton got picked. And he just, again, no separation. It's just one of those things where all the basketball skills in the world can't do you much good if you can't separate. But, you know, the coaches seem to think uh, that he's got a future there. So, you know, we'll see what translates uh, in, in terms of that. The uh, the offensive line, you know, we've talked about this. It looks like at tackle, they've uh, pretty much settled on four guys right now. And, uh, you know, those guys are going to be Greg Little, Taylor Moten, Russell Okung, and the new one. Trent Scott. You got any thoughts on that rotation?
3: Not really. I expect them to claim someone in off waivers, which is what they did. It looks like Scott has experience with the offensive line coach. Uh, yeah. But, no, I expected the other three guys to make the final roster, so nothing too surprising.
2: Yeah, you got, uh, again, a guard, Miller, John Miller from Cincinnati, Mike Schofield, who uh, came in and had mixed results. Uh, from San Diego or from uh, Los Angeles, has to say the Chargers, and then Dennis Daly, who everybody kind of likes, as a, a guy to step in and anchor one of those guard positions. But apparently, he's hurt right now, and there's some questions as to whether or not he's going to be available. Uh, it's a pretty thin group at guard right now.
3: Yeah, it's and it's going to be interesting to see how they, you know, line up because Miller and Schofield have predominantly been right guards. I don't really think they've played on the left side so i'll be curious to see how that rotation sorts itself out because again we don't really have the luxury of being at camp and looking at the line of shaping up i know there hasn't been much reporting on that either from you know the people who are there so yeah let's i'm very curious to see either the depth chart or how it goes on week one
2: so much mystery surrounding that we talked to nick carboni a couple weeks ago and he He's uh, talked about that with us. Jim Zoki as well. It's just <laughs> they were very careful about what they could talk about with us. And, of course, you see in the tweets, they're very limited opportunities to really put any detailed depth chart info out. And I get that. You know, it's a different culture right now with COVID. And there's uh, limited eyeballs on everything. Hell, I, I think I saw Mike McCarthy down there in Dallas with the guys with no jersey numbers on it. <laughs> so there's a lot yeah, of paranoia. <laughs> it was very weird, right? Um, a lot of paranoia with these these programs, and uh, you know, hey, there's it's a big big money stakes game. I get it. Uh, they do have Tyler Larson to back up Matt Paradis, and Larson has some experience at guard too. So, you know, if Paradis can stay healthy, hopefully he can progress a little bit. I, I know some of his tape last year was sketchy. What are your thoughts on Matt Paradis? We haven't really talked about him much, Billy.
3: Sure, I liked the signing when it happened. Uh, I thought he was probably the best interior lineman on the free agent market and I mean the deal is pretty reasonable, three years, twenty seven ish million. Um so now there's only two years left in that deal. But yeah, last year he wasn't good. I, I don't really think there's much else to say about it. So now you're hoping that with a better maybe a better offensive line coach, a more cohesive unit around him, potentially, I don't know. That's still up in the air about the unit being around him, but still um, I'm just trying to give you the optimistic side here. Maybe those factors and also just settling in uh, with one team can give him, you know, the stability he needs to go out and perform. Um, but no, last year he wasn't good. I don't really think there's much else to say about it. Uh, you know, he allowed a lot of pressures, and I think that a lot of his flaws got exposed too. He just, um, you know, in Denver he was more of a zone blocking guy, uh, but he did some man blocking too. But um, yeah, you know, over there, he, you know, got a little overpowered at times with his functional strength. So he has to be a little better there. Um, and you're hoping that he improves upon those issues.
2: Yeah, you do. I mean, it's been hard to watch that position decline, you know, with Khalil being the anchor for, gosh, you know, what was it? Almost a, a full decade and a half there. And, uh, you know, he, his exit was untimely, but his play had declined somewhat. And then Paratus had a hard time stepping in, coming off that injury. So that's something you hope with a new quarterback and a new coordinator that they can have uh, some solid consistency. I think the, the line in general. I mean, it doesn't matter who you line. Well, I mean, actually, it does matter who you line up. But the, the general point is, whomever you line up there, you got to have a consistent cohesive unit and that's just something that has plagued this team for a long time they and you see every team that generally falls by the wayside in terms of championship caliber doesn't have that cohesiveness in that front five and there's going to be injuries it happens but when you're jumbling guys left and right you know it, it's hard to really keep that continuity in terms of your offensive scheme so we'll see how things go uh the receiver position you know they've got six right now active and there's one on the uh IR Kirkwood and they've kept six that I figured they probably would looks like Robbie Anderson Farrow Cooper DJ Moore Curtis Samuel of course and Zilstra was a bit of a surprise but not according to many who watched him in camp and then Seth Roberts I know you've talked about you're not as hot on him as as some are you talk about that group right there you know obviously it's not a surprise with the big three but uh anybody jump out at you in that group that maybe could make an impact
3: yeah, so obviously, a little surprised that Zais—I don't know, how, how do I pronounce his name—Brandon
2: Z—I do Zilstra. I don't Zilstra? <laughs> Might be Zylstra, Zilstra I, I, I don't him, know.
3: Can I call him Z?
2: You can call him Brandon Z. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, you can so, put three Z, put three Z's for the whole season. I'm about that, <laughs> let's just let's snore through it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, I'll go with Zilstra. There you um, go. But. Yeah, no, he looked pretty interesting when I watched, uh, when he got claimed last year. I, I went back and watched yeah. some of his preseason tape with the Vikings. And a lot of Vikings Twitter was, you know, particularly, um, you know, high on him because of, you know, the amount of plays that he made. Um, uh, so I was particularly, you know, enamored with how, with, with him making the roster. Uh, I mean, the other guy is not really surprising that they made it. You know, I expect Farrell Cooper probably not to play much at all on offense he's probably going to be more yeah. of a special right. teams guy and maybe emergency receiver at times but right um you know Roberts yeah i mean you just the contract they gave him and then there was there are rumors about him potentially getting traded and that, yeah, that goes that goes that goes <laughs> back to the you know the point that you know why did the GM give him all this money if you're looking exactly. to move him on but whatever yeah. Uh, but no, besides that, more Samuel Anderson that seems pretty straightforward. I know there were some reports about Curtis Samuel having a bad camp um but again, yeah. that's just one I mean, report, and it's not really it really shouldn't be used to um, you know create agendas on a specific player no um, i
2: had a I had a big issue with that, you because know, that's I don't know who came out with that report I, I'm pretty sure it's one of the guys from the Observer, and that's fine, you know they're out there to observe and watch but it's hard to, you know, it's Nick. Uh, one thing I like about Nick Carboni a lot, we have on it, it's hard to glean a lot from what you see in this camp. And it's important to be careful about putting stuff out there with too much heat. And I think when you come hot and with something like a, a Curtis Samuel just does not look that great at camp, and then national guys pick up on it and then the trade rumors start back up and it's the whole thing. We just don't know. I mean, Kurt Curtis Samuel was an MVP at camp last year. If you, if you ask people that were there, I was there. He looked great in shells. He looked great in pads. Um, but you can't tell until the games start, and there's just been no game action to really see. I, he's a veteran. I think he'll be just fine. I, I don't think there's any problems with terms of learning the system and all that. Of course, that's something you just got to see play out. In terms of the quarterbacks, of course, they've got three no big surprises there. It's Bridgewater, uh, P.J. Walker did make it, and uh, Will Greer who, you know there's again there's been a lot of <laughs> a lot of advanced hype about him coming into his own and owning last year and saying how it was terrible and uh, you know that things are turning around for him but again you just don't know until you till you see him in a game and I just don't know how often that's going to happen this year um, what do you think about these backups is this are they in a spot obviously you know winning this year is not paramount to them because if it was they would have built the roster differently <laughs> um are, these, are what do you make of the backups
3: um yeah not much to be honest i mean i'm i'm pleased to see walker make the final roster uh, i think just being a fan of his on the outside not really again i don't know how he's performing in camp it's very hard to know um with all these players that's why back to your previous message about samuel i don't really like and again i'm not trying to single out any reporter i just don't like when Agendas and narratives are written about players, um, you know, based on one opinion at a camp that sure. is different than any other camp that we've seen. Yeah. Uh, and there could also be an issue with the quarterback. We don't know. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people when they write those um, stories, it's, it's 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 difficult to tell. And the only game film, which we'll get this upcoming week, and um, you know, prove those concerns or not. But as far as the quarterbacks, no, I'm not really surprised. Not really surprised with how the room shaped out. Just pleased to see Walker make it.
2: Yeah, I am too. I mean, that, Walker is a, a great story. I mean, he was <clears throat> with Indianapolis for a while on their practice squad. He was waived several times. And uh, he's, he's fought the long road to get back here. And, you know, it's it's a good story. You know, he's obviously people are going to say, well, he's got the Temple advantage. And, you know, that's fine. You know, the there's a boatload of guys that have the Baylor Temple advantage right now. and That's just the way it's going to go with a first-year coach who's been in those programs. But anything that gets his foot in the door gives him a look. I just hate that there was no preseason games for these guys because uh, that would have given us an opportunity to see them in some live bullet action and give them a chance to put something on tape. But that's just the way the cookie crumbles this year. Um, as we move on to defense here, we take a look at uh, a little bit of what's been going on. They did add uh, Sharice Miller off waivers from Philadelphia, I believe that was. And they've got Brian Bergs of course, uh YGM, Matos, the rookie. Uh They did bring F.A. Obata back. I believe he's back on the primary roster. I'll have to double-check that. Marcus Haynes, Stephen Weatherly are their defensive ends. Talk about that group, Billy. Some dynamic players, some interesting new guys, and uh, a lot of question marks. What do you make of that group?
3: Yeah, it certainly has... I think this group ha- probably has the most upside um, out of the entire roster. Uh, you know, obviously the receivers, you know, we, they have a defined, um, yeah, we, we know what they are essentially. And they, they're yeah. certainly like their level is, can certainly reach a decent level, but, um, but, but as far as the edge rushers go, I think they, we don't really know much, but I think they have the highest upside uh, just speaking on Weatherly Burns and uh, Gross Matos, I think those guys can really uh, make a difference, and they're all really young players. I mean, Weatherly's not young per se, but just as far as like the amount of snaps he's received throughout his career, um, you know, he's still potentially like growing as a player.
2: Yeah, I agree. Uh, that's one signing I'm intrigued with. I don't know if I totally like it yet, but I'm intrigued with Weatherly because I like some of what he put on tape. And I always like a guy who gets limited snaps and makes the most of it. I think he did a pretty good job in that area. Um, and again, Marcus Haynes is a guy that you know, I'm I'm glad they held on to. You know, he's a bit of a hybrid, 6'2", 235. I, he looked really good last year in a game like Tennessee where he came in on a stunt and just absolutely put Tannehill on his back. Um, he's got great quickness. Um, I just, you know, he let Chicago up in the preseason last year, but I told people, look, this left tackle he's going against is probably going to be driving trucks sometime in the middle of the season. This is not starting caliber tackles he's going against, but, I do like that he's produced when he's been in there, and I think it's a good opportunity to to keep him growing. The defense is young, so why the heck not? And the defensive tackle we shipped over there: Derek Brown, of course, the first-round pick; uh, Bravian Roy, another draft pick; Kwan Short, the veteran, and presumably the nose tackle, Zach Kerr, six-two, three thirty-five. Uh, your thoughts on this group, Billy?
3: Yeah, this is this group certainly needs work. Um, you yeah. know, obviously you have. The first-round pick, Derek Brown, and, you know, I think he'll bring a certain level of um, solid play to your run defense. I think we've gone over that many times. Uh But outside of him and short, there's a little bit of concern behind them. Um, you know, Kerr is, you know, kind of a journeyman. You know, he's a, a decent run stuffer at times, but doesn't really affect the pass as much as you'd like. Yeah, the, the the same goes for the other guys, too. So I think the big here, the big key here uh, for them is to make sure that Short is healthy. Um, you know, he's reproaching, or he might be even in his 30s right now. And, you know, he's coming off a season where he only played two games. So, yeah, if he can stay healthy and, you know, him and Brown can kind of form a, uh, you know, a potential partnership and that'll really help their... Um, chances to stabilize um, certain areas of the defense.
2: Yeah, I agree. You jump over to linebackers now. You look at some of the names on here. Obviously, you got, you got the big two, Shaq Thompson, Tahir Whitehead. Uh, you look at guys like Julian Stanford, Jermaine Carter, Sam Franklin, Darius Taylor. Um, there's not a lot of depth there, Billy. And, you know, how how much linebackers will be playing here, I don't know. We've talked about the three-safety system. We've talked a lot about some alignments that might limit some linebacker activity in terms of coverages. But, again, Whitehead's a guy that has a lot of question marks about coverage. And then Shaq is rock solid. But, you know, again, he's not beside Luke Kuechly anymore. And he's got a whole new front four in front of him. Talk about some of the challenges this group faces in 2020.
3: Yeah, it's certainly going to be pretty challenging just because I don't think they have the talent. Um, to compensate for their, um, you know, for those issues. I mean, Thompson, I think we know what he is. Uh, you know, to hear Whitehead, the same thing. We've gone over in depth. We're not big fans of his, you know, how he performs in pass coverage, but I, I think that maybe with his experience, knowing the defense and potentially also just getting people lined up in the right places, that could help. So yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly a unit that, um, you know, needs work in the future, but at least you do have some stability with Thompson and he'll help you, you know, potentially, you know, get, uh, you know, bring some level level of respectability.
2: Yeah. And then you jump over to safeties. Of course, you take a step back into the third level of defense. Trey Boston will be starting at free. Uh, you got Justin Burris, who's getting a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of hype right now is a guy who can, Man down the other position opposite Boston, Jeremy Chin. Obviously, it's a huge factor as a hybrid. Uh, Miles Hartfield plays a little bit of everything back there, and uh, they they did release Kenny Robinson. I'm not sure if that's a practice squad retainer yet or not. Yeah, it is. Okay, they've got him back. Okay. But just talk about the, the safety group, too. You know, we've talked about this and, you know, what Trey does well, what he doesn't do too well. Uh, Chen is a fascinating prospect, and then Burris, I think we both kinda like a little bit. What are, what are your thoughts again on this group as they round out in the 53 roster here?
3: So, this, th- this position, in my opinion, has the best, uh, talent on defense. I know we said that the upside for the edge rusher certainly had, but I think just speaking on talent alone, I, I really like, uh, this safety group. Um it, so, just speaking on Burris, you know, he's a pretty reliable, um safety in coverage and in the run game. He's a pretty solid player in all aspects of playing safety. And then as far as Boston is concerned, I think a lot of people understand his shortcomings. He can take some, you know, flunky angles and, you know, he can also get at times caught out, you know, in one-on-ones, but he's very reliable in the back end and coverage and that's a very valuable skill set to have as a safety. So, um, you know, it's, it's very assuring to have him back there. Now, just gotta hope that you know, when he gets one-on-one with a running back, uh, in the hole or in the alley, he can make that play. Um, that's yep. been an issue for him throughout his career. Uh, the other guys, chin, big fan of him coming out, so I, I'm expecting big things from him. Um, you know, pending if he does get the game time. And, uh, yeah, just a little curious about why they cut Kenny Robinson. I didn't really understand that. Yeah, I mean, you, you yeah. used a fifth round pick on the guy. Uh, I mean, I know it's a fifth round pick. It's not a third or fourth, but still, You don't want to be cutting your draft picks after camp. Those draft
2: picks are valuable for Carolina, though. I mean, everyone counts because they don't have a lot of them typically.
3: That's what I'm saying. And then, you know, you're complaining about the lack of, um, you're you're complaining about the lack of secondary, you know, talent, and then you cut a guy like that. I don't know. Whatever. Um, so that's just, that speaks a little bit more to my issues with the front office. Um, But yeah, no, it's a a pretty good group. Uh, The safeties, I really like them. I just wish they kept Robinson. I mean, it's good that he's on the practice squad, but at the same time, you're leaving up the chance if another team gets an injury, they can go ahead and sign him. I mean, just imagine a team like Baltimore, who just released Joe Thomas, they them signing Kenny Robinson, and you know him going out there and having like two interceptions off of like you know one of like Ben Roethlisberger or something, and I'll really be upset at that point. But still, you don't you don't want to have you know, your draft picks end up on the practice squad, especially for a team so talent deficient like the Panthers.
2: Yeah, that was a head scratcher. I didn't get it. Um, we talked about the corners, obviously, at the top of the show here. And uh, again, we talk about Eli Apple is on IR, at least for the first few weeks. They can bring him back uh, down the road. And uh, what what increasingly gets my attention here is that slot corner spot. Do you have anybody in mind out of that group that, has the ability or is best suited to step in and man the slot? Because they're going to be playing a lot of nickel, a lot of dime, too. I mean, what do you what do you see in terms of them shaping that? Obviously, you know, yeah, is the favorite. Has <laughs> Rasul ever played inside? Has he been an outside corner? What, what does yeah, it look
3: like? He, yeah, Rasul is more of an outside guy. But I'm going to tell you this, John. I think they have too many slot cornerbacks. Oh. Uh, yeah, I think Pride is gonna be. a He should be a slot quarterback, slot yeah. cornerback, just given his athletic profile, given his, um, you know his high weight, speed, all that stuff. I think that he projects much better on the inside. I know he played outside of Notre Dame, but, yeah, you know still I I think that you know in the slot he can you know really help their defense and Rasul Douglas play more of outside in Philadelphia. But outside of that, man, this this group is. I mean, did Corn Elder make bleeding. the final roster?
2: Uh, to my understanding, yeah, that's what I'm seeing right now. Yeah, in the latest he's a, update from uh, he's, our friends on Twitter here. Yeah, he's
3: another um, you know slot option, but still, I'm yeah. just telling you, John, this group is not great.
2: <laughs> yeah, it, it's. And I want to you hear know, your thoughts on it. Uh, no, I mean, you talk about young, and I, I get that. I just I hate this team. We're going to get to a more macro discussion here in a minute about ownership and. And a lot of stuff that we just have to talk about, but I just don't like the, 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 this whole going young, just to go young idea. It's the NFL. There's no need to tear it down to that extent. And I just don't know if I like loading up the offense with veterans and then scaling it completely back on defense with, yeah, a couple veterans, but you know, mostly the, the key spots like corner, uh, interior defensive line is just relying on too many young guys to, to, to take care of it and i just don't know if i like it man i i i do like pride's versatility a lot uh dante i think is has had some issues but he can improve and he can get better it's just going to be hard to do that with whoever's opposite of him if if there's no respect on that other side it's just they're just going to attack him and if the pressure doesn't get home i i expect phil to to bring a lot of pressure I expect him to blitz quite a bit I don't know if he will or not but that's my expectation that they're going to be downhill and aggressive in terms of their their blitz packages and they're going to try to use that as an opportunity to help this secondary out and I just don't know if they're going to be able to hold up I I don't know man I just don't know yeah Um,
3: we we spoke to this last week just about the team building so I'm not going to relitigate it again but I I agree with what you're saying
2: yeah, I mean we can we can we'll we'll as the season goes along we're going to take a look at every game and and kind of either confirm what we've said is true here or just you know hey they've surprised us and they've built this this very underrated defense that has overachieved and maybe that'll be the case but I as you said I look at that that you know five that are on the roster at corner and that's the one that sticks out is like oh man that's just a rough in this division with that schedule ah man I don't I don't see how they're going to hold up, but we'll. we'll I see mean, it. they'll get
3: a good opportunity week one because the Raiders don't really have much receiving talent, and we'll preview this on Thursday. But we will, we If, if will. they and can't I, hold up, if they cannot hold off against the Raiders,
2: uh, right? <laughs> then God bless them. I, I think that's a great point. You know, they do not have the the kind of vertical threat you're going to see week two with Tampa. Uh, that's for certain, and they they've got some dynamic playmakers, and they're they're a ground and pound team, and that's another. Thing that Matt Rule talked about that you know the the Raiders game presents a challenge in terms of the run defense and what didn't work last year. Maybe they can get that turned around. But again, it's all about it's all about winning the football game. However, you got to do it. Um, we'll take a look at Raiders a little closer on Thursday. Um, and then the, the special teams. Obviously, we talked about Pharaoh is probably going to be in line for a, a return spot. Nothing set in stone yet, but I'm glad to see he made the roster. They're going with Joe Charlton. Uh, at punter and, uh, Joey Sly at kicker, of course. They did get Vedvik off, uh, in terms of getting on the practice squad. and that, That's in- interesting. Uh, don't know if that's something they're going to keep there for long or not, but the practice squads are expanded this year. So, uh, I don't, I don't like the fact that Pearl already got hurt. I don't think anybody does. There's nothing you can do about it. That's really unfortunate because I think that's one of the areas they could have had an advantage this year. In terms of directional punting, getting these teams pinned deep. And there's just a lot of question marks for the young punter. We don't need to relitigate it all day long here, but you have any thoughts on these two guys?
3: No, not really. <laughs> I
2: mean, it's not much. Yeah. There.
3: I think the viral clip, you know, spoke for itself. So <laughs> it says it all. all we can, all we can really do is just wait for the games and judge him and other players based on what they put on film.
2: You've counted on restaurants, and now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from all your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on the way. Yes, sir. All right. Well, there's your roster, folks. As we talk on Monday night here, there's your 53. I think we covered just about everything from that end. Uh, we do want to kind of dive back because Billy and I were off late last week, and Dave Tepper spoke with the media. And uh, it was a interesting, <laughs> to say the least, little bit of time with uh, some reporters from the Charlotte area, and including – our friend Jonathan Jones from CBS Sports, who was probably the rock star of that press conference, in my opinion. Ah, uh, Billy, where do we start? Um, well, hold on.
3: The, let me let me ask you. Yeah. Because you've been certainly vocal of the ownership more so than I have, and I have certainly some issues with them, and um, I'm most likely going to agree with you. Let's let's start on the headlines because I think that's what people want to hear. Yeah. The big topic, I think that. You know, went viral were the quotes that he gave in response to Jonathan Jones. Yep. I have my own thoughts on this, but I want to hear yours first. And just to give a quick, quick background, uh, I mean, the question was that, um, you, you know, J- Jonathan Jones asked him, you're not the only owner who has suffered losses here, so how do you justify almost doubling the next closest owner in terms of layoffs and furloughs? Uh, and I mean, I'm sure other fans have seen this quote, but if not, I'll go through it real quickly. Uh, Tepper's response was, you're making a mistake when you talk that way, and you didn't listen to my previous answer. I decide on these decisions based on what's good for the organization and what's good for the individual. It's not good to have an individual sit here, sit there idle for a year, year and a half, or two years with nothing to do inside an organization, okay? They may think it, and that's not good for a person, and it's not an easy decision, okay? But it's the right decision, I think. You're basing this on a purely financial question. This is a human question. And every individual is an individual. So I don't know I answer it except for that, okay? I do believe that. It's not like these things were made lightly. You think this is a pure dollar and cents answer. It was not. its sometimes difficult decisions are the right decisions. It may seem the right decision for everybody involved at the time, but they are still the right decision.
2: Your response to that, sir? <laughs> Condescending much? <laughs> Just, uh, uh, where do we start? No, look, he's running a business. I get that. Here, here's the one thing I get really sick of these neophyte fans coming after me with, you know, because the big thing with Tepper is he came in, he changed the midfield logo, he tailgated with the fans, and everybody was smitten and in love, okay? There was a honeymoon period because Richardson came out on a very ugly note. So following him was a a walk in the park. So he comes in and and does some positive fan outreach things. And, you know, I look, it's COVID, and you're preaching to – the media and, – and you're snapping at Jonathan, by the way. It's very a sna- very snotty way to answer a question. I don't care if he's the owner, the GM, or a janitor. That's just not how you talk to people. I, 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 it rubbed me the wrong way. Look, is, is, it, is it right to, to have that many furloughs and layoffs during a pandemic when you can probably afford to keep these guys? No, I don't think it's right. I don't know his books. I don't know everything that's going on. Obviously, I've told you this, Billy. He's got a lot of shit going on. He's, take, he's trying to do a soccer thing. He's got trying to get a stadium going. He's building a complex out in Rock Hill. And there's a lot of things going on. And his attention is not solely on this football team. It's not. And he's got Marty Herney running the football operations side of that. But the business side is what we're talking about here. And I just think the messaging, again, uh, you've got to do yourself some favors here. You know, he talked in this press conference, Billy, about loving the fans and then he sort of passive aggressively talked about, well, I wish the fans loved me back. And it's like, well, how do you expect that to happen if you keep messaging like everybody a, a shit sandwich, basically? <laughs> you know, it's just, I just, I just don't think the messaging it, it it lacks a little bit of tact. That some of these owners with a little more experience, like a Jeffrey Lurie, maybe, uh, you know, guys who have been, you know, sort of the bedrock guys of the league, sort of take that approach is to say less word economy maybe just don't talk to the media as much because i don't even know that this was necessary to have this pressure every time he seems to have a press conference he steps in it and he gets somebody pissed off at him and I, i'm not alone here i mean you saw some reporters out there that were scratching their head at this and then a lot of fans came out and just it, people around the league well respected analysts and, and not even football people just business people were just like That's just not the right message to send during a pandemic. Your thoughts, Billy Marshall?
3: Yeah, so I I totally agree with you. Um, I I think that – I'm going to leave the other investment side of this um, for another time. But David Tepper is a very well – he's very well resourced, okay? Yes. It doesn't really take much Googling to figure out that his company – is doing very well. I mean, it, it's just look it up. Uh, he, you can look up his hedge fund on Google and look up how much money they're making because all of his investments and in stocks are in there. And he has a very good portfolio that's doing pretty well. Okay. Now, I know the economic conditions back in March were probably not great, but the economic conditions, you know, six months later are much better than they were back then. Right. And he should have probably realized that, you know, we're in a pandemic and we're not going to be able to maybe, um you know, resource some areas. But, I mean, this is just like, I mean, you're a billionaire. Like, you have to, I mean, how else are you going to, like, really help yourself with the community than paying people for a job? I mean, that's what they should do. I understand that, you know, sometimes you want to, um, you know, reorganize and realign some business, you know, priorities and stuff, but I just don't think you should be doing that in the middle of a pandemic. I mean, it just, it sends the wrong message. Um, yeah. you know, he, like I said, he has the resources to pay for this stuff. Um,
2: he just doesn't want to.
3: He's the richest owner in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, I don't get why you need to be furloughing players like this left and right. Uh, I, I just don't. It, it does not make sense or not, not players. Employees. <laughs> well, he's done, he's done some of that too. You could argue. Well, well that, that's a different, that's a different topic and we'll get to right, that in a second. But it's like, come on, man. Like, you're, you're a billionaire and I'm, I mean, I'm never going to argue with, you know, how you're going about your business, but it doesn't really take rocket science to look at how your other companies are doing right? and to just pay these employees if you want to get on the good side. Like, no other team. That's the thing that's most striking about the comment that or the question is that this was the highest amount of furloughs in the NFL. And by we of the double, richest right? owner was, in the I NFL. Think
2: I, thought, I think Jones said it was by by times two, right? I mean it was more that's, than double the but...
3: That's just the, the jarring thing to me.
2: Yeah.
3: Like like come on, like, you you can't really like defend this and you, you just have to well, you know take the side of labor for once and, and then we're having this on you know conversation on Labor Day. Like take the side yeah. of Labor and really help out like th- what better way to help out your community than keeping people within the community employed
2: well and if you and if you're not if, if your choice is to be you know cutthroat or whatever or, or take that approach that i know better than you guys so shut the fuck up and let me run this thing then maybe not say with so much goddamn bluntness i mean that's all i'm saying here and i'm, I'm speaking very clearly here very plainly i don't know this man i've met him one time he's very generous but I probably will not be seeing him a whole lot in the future. So I'm not that concerned about, you know, if by chance he hears this comment. It really doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is this football franchise moving forward. And you look at an owner who has made decisions like paying Baylor's head coach the seventh highest contract in the NFL. Okay, that's fine. I don't agree with it. I think that's extreme. But that's your money. Do what you want. You go ahead and do that. And then you keep Marty Herney. But then you're building this mega complex. Don't tell me, John, this guy didn't become a billionaire by being a moron. I'm not saying he's a moron. I'm saying it's a whole different business right now. And the difference between running a successful football franchise and the difference between lining your pockets as a hedge fund maestro are two very different things. And Billy, as you know, these guys run off spreadsheets. They run off numbers. And when it comes to people – Honestly, they're just on a spreadsheet.
3: Jerry Richardson, we know, is a pretty cheap owner, right? Oh yeah. So, do you think Jerry Richardson wanted to, you know, hire these thirty people just to have them sitting around and paying their like books like you know, like that? No. No. So, like, if Jerry Richardson can employ these people, then surely they have some reasonable, you know. Like value within the organization, especially if other teams are not, you know, going to this extent with the furloughs and layoffs. And that's just like the crux of it. I'm just like, dude, like you have all this money, like these people were hired for, to do a job and because of this pandemic, I'm sure you can reallocate their tasks or something to keep them employed because it's a very difficult economy for everyone. And it just, you, you know, laying them off just sends a completely wrong message. And then the way you come back at, you know, one of the more respected national reporters and one of the.
2: That's my biggest problem is the, the comeback.
3: I mean, um, it, that that just it, it wasn't great.
2: Um, Jonathan, Jonathan's one of the nicest people that that's on the beat. And he's a national guy now and he, he deserves a. A better response than that, and that's problematic when you've got a respected, you know, if is some blogger out there being a dick, you know, just trying to get a rise out of temper. I get him totally pushing back. But even in that case, as a donor, you need to have a little messaging discipline in terms of how you push back. And and the fact that it was Jonesy was even more egregious, I think, because Jones was very smart about screen capping the exchange, pushing it out there, and giving the momentum it deserved. As a reporter, you do that. You. You say, this was an interesting exchange. It's not, the story's not about me guys, but look what David Tepper's saying about COVID and, and furloughs and layoffs. Um, I thought it was a great piece of reporting by Jonathan to, to follow up and to put it out there in that fashion. And I, I guess that's my biggest problem with Tepper. You know, I, I look, I, I wish all the best for the guy. I hope his decisions end up fruitful for this organization and franchise, but there's too many people giving him the benefit of the doubt. And the Cam Newton thing kind of brought that home for a lot of people. I'm not so down on him on that because that was a football decision, I think. I think that was less to do with him and more to do with the people under him. Um, but he hired the people under him, and that pissed a lot of people off how that was messaged. Now, you put that out a few months forward now, and we're having, again, the the owner meeting with the press and saying things that he I, – I just don't see as pertinent or valuable whatsoever. In terms of messaging, and maybe I'm too stuck on messaging. Maybe that's just me, but I come from a PR background and come from a journalism background. I think it's real important to have your message tight as an organization, and he just put, puts his foot in it every time. It seems.
3: So the next topic I want to transition to, and it relates to finances too, was um, about having fans in the stadium. And you know, a couple times he kind of uh, you know took subtle shots at the. North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper, um, and Joe Person in his piece on the athletic, you know, breaking down this, you know, Tepper's, you know, comments to the media. He said that during his, during his zoom call, several times Tepper either subtly or otherwise tried to apply some political pressure who declined to grant the Panthers an extension to allow them have limited number of fans for the season opener. Um, so essentially he's upset about not having fans in the stadium um i don't want i don't know that that's a little weird to have so you're you're complaining about you know all these furloughs and then he wants all this money to come in like it, again it just speaks to some of his um how do i say this condescending yeah accent. yeah right, right.
0: and exactly. i think
3: i mean just i'm i'm just going to go off a couple different um data points here and I know fans want to go to the same and I think that what we've learned about this virus is that you know transmitting it outdoors is a lot difficult than indoors so I don't want to you know try to how do I say this I don't want to minimize the um, you know the critical factors of this virus because it's certainly very dangerous Um, but you know currently I'm just looking at different polling and such I mean the Response or you know how North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper has done with this is the majority of North Carolinians agree with a lot of the guidelines and strict um, you know movements towards you know protecting themselves during this virus. So yeah. I think that Tepper you know needs to kind of read the room in this situation. Like a lot of individuals, I mean, I'm sure they want to go to games, but at the same time, um, I think more people are on the side of the the governor than on his side because people are taking this virus seriously. Uh, right. And I think that's, yeah, the, the disconnect there is just a little bit too much for my taste when it comes to him. Um, I mean, did you take anything away from oh, know, the attendance? Uh, book?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, a, a little bit. I'll say this, that he's preached the one Carolina mantra for. For, for his three years, he's been here now. And, you know, I can tell you as a resident of South Carolina, it's a lot different. Uh, there's going to be 19,000 folks at, uh, Clemson games this year, at least right now. So they're, they're actually encouraging a little more activity just south of the border. And that brings up an interesting point about, you know, who he's talking to here. You know, a lot of his fan base is south of that border in South Carolina. And I think maybe part of that is an outreach to, to that group to say look you know I'd, I'd love to facilitate this and i don't necessarily agree with north carolina standards or maybe that's just tepper being tepper you know again we're, we're talking about a, a guy who has a hard time reading the room sometimes and maybe he does read the room and just doesn't care what the read is and uh, people have said i've seen over and over he needs to hire some some pr professionals you know the guys that run the pr there you know i i have no complaints they're good dudes and they know how to Keep things on the rails, but they just, I, Tepper is just a, <laughs> he, he gets out there and talks, and I've, I've heard him on CNBC, you know, in his personal ventures as well, or his private business ventures, uh, uh, football not aside, you know, he will talk and he will talk up a storm, and he's not afraid to go anywhere with how he talks, you know, um, as far as fans in the stands, you know, look, I think, you know, you got to be sensitive to, to a lot of what's going on right now, I think it's a smart thing to wait on that. I mean, what's the? Are you going to fill it to what twenty thousand instead of nobody? It's still going to look pathetic. It's still going to sound pathetic. It's going to be, you know, a, a, what it would look like at the end of a blowout, basically. So again, I, I love the idea of getting some fans in the stands, but to me, if it makes a difference in terms of curbing the virus to keep people out of the building for at least a year. Yeah, at least you got football. Let's not complain too much about what we don't have. Um, you know, gate sales, ticket, whatever he might be looking at as saying what he's losing out on here is a far cry from what we gain in terms of curbing the virus long term. So I know you've got some data there, um, but that's just my general thought. And I think a lot of people in South Carolina would would think much differently about how um, how acceptable it would be to have 20,000 or so fans in the stadium. Versus North Carolina. I thought this is interesting, too. He even went down the road of a, a dome stadium versus open air, and he started making the comment, that I'm more open to an open air stadium now, which is, again, just I think he's just using words to use them at that point. I don't think that means anything. Um, but, yeah, I just, I don't like marginalizing COVID, whether it's layoffs, whether it's fan attendance. And I'm not saying he's doing that. But, again, he has strong opinions, and sometimes it's okay just not to talk.
3: Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. I mean, I know, like, partisanship can be a little bit of a difficult subject in these days and these days. So, um yeah, I, I just think that, you know, currently it's not like the Panthers are alone in that there aren't hosting fans. I mean, no. the, there's plenty of other teams who are also um, not going to have fans week one. So, look, we'll see how it goes. I mean, I'm sure, like, if things get better, you know, by their next home game, then potentially you can see, you know, a you know twenty five percent capacity. I don't know. I don't even think it matters that much. Yeah. I mean, maybe it does, just in terms of atmosphere. But like, you know, if you're having like, you know, fifteen to twenty thousand people in there, like, how much of a Who difference cares? does that really
2: make? Who cares? That's what I'm saying. I've been to games where. Now, I remember a game 2001. <laughs> it was the season finale against the eventual world champion Patriots, and the stadium was dead, Billy. There were probably 15, 20,000 in their kickoff. It was brutal. And I, I put a picture it was up like, there.
3: There was like a lot of – it was a pretty nasty day, too.
2: It was awful. It was awful weather. And I think that's just, you know, a a precursor of what the atmosphere will look and feel like. You know, yeah, that's great to have fans in the stands. I don't care. It doesn't affect me at all. I, unless it's full capacity and we're rocking and roaring again and, and, the, and it really, you know, this is arguments now about home field advantage. How much is there in terms of fan noise and all? Yeah. I don't know that. That's, yeah, that's a deeper dive discussion we can have in terms of the analytics, but in terms of atmosphere. Yeah. You're right. 20, 15, 20, 25,000 versus zero. It's just not that big of a difference. It's going to look yeah. almost sadder to have 20,000 in there than nothing in a way um so yeah we'll see
3: so the next topic i want to bring up is the cam newton um you know quotes that he gave oh, so mm. essentially what he said directly is um responding Grace. to a question about cam newton is like i didn't know so many people in charlotte knew a word that began with f i would say that it yeah. was a very difficult decision nicole his wife was mm. crying about the decision we really expected mm. cam we still do obviously i wish him the best possible in New England, the problem with COVID as such, and not knowing what was going on, put us in a very difficult situation at a salary, mm-hmm. quite frankly. We made yeah. the best decision that we could have given yeah. the right. circumstances. My right. opinion, I'll just give you mine real quickly. Just a quick short synopsis. I feel like this is completely disingenuous on multiple levels. Your response?
2: Yeah, it's total bullshit. It's, it's all been, I mean, you know, did how, Who ties it to COVID with <laughs> releasing Cam Newton? Like, come on. Covid, Cam Newton, my wife cried. I mean, he's all over the map. That's I just again, it's okay not to talk. And I just knew <laughs> if he had this press conference, there would be some dipshit answer to something. And I again, no offense, if he hears this, which I hope he does, you're worth billions. You'll be okay. I'm just a little podcaster here. But Dave, come on now. Let let's let's look at this rationally. So COVID was the reason behind the Cam Newton release. We couldn't get a look at Cam because of COVID. Okay, great. And then his contract is his his salary. Okay, so we're going to bring in Teddy Bridgewater, who has again looked very marginal on tape over the years, and we're going to pay him what nineteen twenty million. And okay, that that's fine. That's your way of doing business. That's great. But don't bring COVID into it. Just stop with that. And you know, to to overdramatize it, this is like the <laughs> The second time his wife's name has come into discussion about the Cam Newton, the first was when they had an impromptu presser in the, uh, locker room when he talked about, I'm not a doctor. You know, you're not a doctor. And David Newton, of all people, was the reporter that kept pressing him on this. And the, before he answered with, I'm not a doctor, he said to Newton, he said, I don't know, talk, talk to my wife, Nicole. She, she might have gotten a phone call or something. So, uh, it just, it's just this slapstick bullshit. He's holding court with the press and everything he says is supposed to be hilarious and, I don't know if that's some sort of heartfelt, you know, please understand that, you know, fans, I know you're heartbroken. You've lost your franchise quarterback. But my wife cried too. It doesn't resonate. It doesn't resonate. You don't have that connect to the upstate or to the Carolinas or to the Charlotte region or to the the, the, the triad region, to so this whole Carolinas area. You're still very much a newcomer. And I'm not judging his wife. He's the one that brought her into it, not me. <laughs> Just... It was a hodgepodge of dog shit, the whole commentary. I just didn't get it, Billy. Yeah,
3: I don't know. There's really not much else to say. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, we've gone over the Cam Noon stuff, Exhaust, you know, plenty of times. But to hear the owner say that was...
2: Yeah, I'm not trying to be an asshole here. I'm just speaking from the heart. No, 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 I agree. I I agree I I care deeply about this organization because I'm still very much an observer from a fan perspective. And I know my kids love this team. My family grew up on this team and they're frustrated. People are, are livid as just, to how they're just, going about doing business. And when you get these kind of guys comments coming out, it doesn't help.
3: Just guys, just own the decision. You made it. Hold yourself yeah. accountable. Right. You paid Teddy Bridgewater. You yeah. paid this head coach all this money. You decided to keep Marty Herney. Own it. Own There's it. don't no need to make excuses. This what, is is your does that say? Team. what does that
2: say by Bridgewater? Well, I mean, again, they held him to Newton as a bargaining chip, Billy. That's what they did. They held him the last minute because they didn't know what the hell to do with him, but they knew they didn't want him. And for some reason, Bridgewater was somebody they coveted. I get the Joe Brady thing. I get that. But Bridgewater was so coveted, and there were some rumors that New England was interested, Tampa might be, and they held Newton as a bargaining chip. And, you know, that's fine. If that's just be at least somewhat transparent about what you're doing here, don't hide behind COVID. I, I understand they had limitations as far as how much they could see his progression, but they, there people in the building that know Cam well enough to know if he was coming along or not. Now, you know, people yeah. are going to say, no, Cam goes to New England, gets paid 550 guaranteed. You know, what does that say about Cam's market? Well, what that says to me is he's willing to take a little less to go somewhere that offers a little more. And I think that's the deal he doesn't give anybody else other than New England, honestly. So if you he had held on another clear. month.
3: It's always interesting when people bring up Cam Newton not being signed until June, but no one ever brings up Jadavion Clowney, who was just signed yesterday, and who took like a you know seven to eight million dollar hit on his salary. So it's like no one's saying Clowney or Cam Newton are bad players. Sometimes the market just kind of works itself out in certain ways, so you just have to live with it. But all right, last quote I want to bring up here um, about Marty Herney. Uh, so you was asked a question about Marty Herney's contract, and the exact quote was, that hasn't come up. There's been too much to do to have those conversations. You should ask me that question later on. Marty and I are very concentrated on doing as much as we can, and obviously coach rule getting this football team in shape and making sure we keep the players safe and healthy starting the season. That's all we care about right now.
2: Yeah. Your
3: response to that quote?
2: I mean, you know, look, Part of your job is to monitor football operations, and you've got a lot of hot takes, Dave, on Cam Newton, including the fact that your wife cried over the decision. (laughs) You've got a lot, you've got a lot of hot takes about, you know, how COVID impacts decisions on your starting quarterback, yet you're not willing to talk more about your general manager. Maybe that's his way of reading the room and saying, you know what? I'm tired of getting my balls busted for saying this guy is an elite talent evaluator, which is a laughable statement. You know, Marty's a lot of things. He's a very solid personnel guy, but he's not an elite talent evaluator. He's not an elite one. Elite would be top of the cream of the crop, top of the class, top flight, top five in the league. He's not in that category. So I think maybe Tepper just said, you know, hey, here's an area where I can, you know, throw the media a little tiny bone instead of a piece of red meat. And I don't know. I I don't know what you can read into that other than it wasn't necessarily ringing endorsement. I still think long term, we've talked to Jordan Rodriguez about this, you know, and others as well. The general feeling is that, you know, Marty will eventually be moved on to another role. But we don't know that yet. And they've had a great relationship. And it comes right down to the fact that Jim Zoki even talked about it. You know, the, these two guys went on a expedition to hire this college head coach together. It was the two of them, Dave Tepper, Marty Herner. They've created quite a bond and that. That concerns me as a guy that doesn't see Marty as necessarily the most progressive forward thinking GM in the league.
3: Yeah. Um I think, you know, our comments last week about Marty um, are still out there for anyone to consume, so I don't want to sure. relitigate <laughs> that. I mean nope. <laughs> his his comments kind of speak for itself. I think just looking at this on a more granular scale. I'm And maybe it's just because I haven't been – I've been so used to Jerry Richardson staying away from the media for so long. But but I'm also looking at it from other perspectives too, just being in the corporate world now. I just – I don't – something bothers me about owners speaking this much to the press. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Like Jerry Jones is an an exception, but I don't see the Rooneys speaking to the press like this. I don't see – you know, the Steve Bashotti or the Wilfs or, I mean, I know Jeffrey Lurie Jeffrey spoke to me Lurie last week, but he was speaking more about, you know, getting people to vote and stuff, right, stuff like that. Right. It wasn't necessarily, you know, on football and decisions, but I think he's earned the right to speak because he's won a Super Bowl and his team has yes. you know, <laughs> been well. one of the
2: most consistent teams of the past two decades. I think yeah, he's earned it.
3: I, don't, I just don't like it. I, I just, Hire the people you need to hire. If that's Marty Curry and Matt Rule, fair enough. I I don't, I mean, hey, that's who you hire. You're going to live with those decisions. And I think it's fine to speak, you know, maybe, you know, once or twice a year, but, you know, this constant amount of speaking to the press. And I I don't want to take anything away. I think the press has a right to know and ask him these questions, but he's putting himself in a bad position with all these quotes because, you know, people are going to parse it whatever way they are going to and they're going to hold him accountable. For what he's saying, so you're telling you know the fans that Marty Herney's an elite talent evaluator, then you know he better really you know make up for that because his fifth you're round good. pick is already off the roster on the practice squad.
2: Right. right. So again, so you're-, <laughs> you're,
3: you're you're paying you're paying Matt Rule seven you know paying him you know seven year contract, so he better have this team progressing you know making the playoffs by year three. You paid Teddy Bridgewater this amount of money, he better play yeah. like it. So just yeah. just let those decisions speak for themselves because now you're at a point where you know fans are gonna you know start demanding more questions and you're not gonna be able to hold up your end of the bargain. So that's just my until, take. I don't until
2: know. proven otherwise, it looks very much like a flimsy operation, and I'll tell you why. And I'll close out with this: I've, I said this last week, and I've said this it's all off season that I don't like the the model of a new owner coming in and and making his first hire with a holdover GM, and that hire is Baylor's head coach, much of his staff, a a 30-year-old OC who everybody loves, and I think he's got a very good mind and has got a great future. But again, the the point being that there were qualified NFL bona fide candidates who would have brought a more NFL-centric staff, and I just don't know yet if Matt Rule and this staff is NFL ready or will be by the time it comes to reevaluate, you know, they say seven year contract, I don't buy that. You know, this, everything's on a three year window in this league. So I think by the time that three years rolls up, has he progressed enough? Has this unit progressed enough to move forward? And I don't like the fact that I'm told by many to just trust the process. I have yet to see when I see the process in motion. And I start to see results. Okay. Then we can have that discussion. But an owner who continues to open his mouth and continue, and look, he's got F you money. He can say whatever he wants. That's fine. He, he does not give a damn. I guarantee you that at night. He loses no sweat. But from a strategic perspective, you put your entire organization in a compromising position when you continue to talk without results, get the results. And then you can op- have, you know, open court with the media every month or two. And run your mouth about anything you want. I, it's still not the way I would do it. You've talked about owners around the league, and, and the successful model, other than maybe a Jerry Jones, has been to just do your business, handle your job, don't say too much to the media, and hire good people to do that for you. And I just don't know if uh, I don't know if I can put my faith in this whole you know group yet. But yeah, it's so, not I mean, Matt Rule's fault. I, hell, I'm Matt. It's not even Marty's fault. It's not Marty's fault for being rehired and being rehired again. I mean. Oh, good yeah. for him. Good good money so, to get
3: it. I mean, the First Amendment allows you to have free speech, so he can talk as much as he wants, but of course. we as fans can also voice our opinion that we're not fans of him speaking because he's putting ridiculous expectations and yeah. he's coming out with these absurd quotes that just, yeah. you know, they don't look good within the context of where the franchise is at this current moment.
2: He's got way too much going on to be sitting in front of the media answering questions about the Carolina Panthers. That's just my opinion. But, uh, you know, if he feels like he can handle that, he feels like he puts his organization in a winning position, go for it. I just don't see the value in it. Sorry.
3: Well, that's, just don't. that's, yeah, so, um, I mean, that was a really good discussion.
2: Uh, yeah. But I think
3: so. Yeah. That, that's mainly the main quotes that came from his presser. And, you yeah, know, I'm glad we touched on those.
2: I'm glad we did, too. I think we'll wrap up there on this note because we got uh, a big one coming up on Thursday, a big Raiders-Panthers preview. It is game week, so let's get out of the doldrums here and start to look forward to the matchups and what we've got going on. And Billy and I will, will do an extensive preview of that game coming up on the Friday edition. We'll be recording that, of course, on Thursday. And we're looking forward to giving you some – some good insight from the Raiders camp too. We have some guests coming on, and we'll give you some more on that this week through Twitter and promoting that. But uh, yeah, Billy, this is a great discussion, man. Anything you want to close out with here?
3: Um, no, not really. I think you'll you're, we'll have some more plans on um, you know content-wise and what we plan to do once the season starts and once we get the film up and running. But yeah, um, yeah for now, I think that's a good start. You know, the roster's kind of finally taking shape, and finally, we'll see how they do this upcoming Sunday.
2: I'll say this. I'm excited about watching the tape and, uh, not just for the Panthers, but league wide. There's been a lot of changes, a lot of scheme changes, a lot of new fits, a lot of new players and in, in different spots. And yeah, but for this Panthers offense in particular, I'm interested to watch the all 22 on what Joe Brady is doing and, and how things are diversified from in years past. So there's a lot to look forward to. Even if the wins aren't here, we'll be here with you every week, twice a week to give you the updates and the insight you need. John Ellis, Billy Marshall on The Roar right here on Blue Wire. We'll see you next time, folks.
3: Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL. With NFLSundayTicket.tv, you can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSunday.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSunday.tv and use promo code